Hello and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome like anxiety, health and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to another episode of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. My name is Sarah, and I'm happy to connect with you this week. I hope that you are enjoying some crisp fall weather. I know we have Halloween on the way, and I'm sure everybody's getting excited for that. There's been lots of costume ideas bouncing around our house, um, and hoping that the weather is good, as, as we always do. I know we've had those years where it's just been like a flash rain um, and it's been so challenging for trick-or-treating. And then we've also had the most gorgeous days for trick-or-treating. So you never really know, hopefully, whether you're having a party or you know, you've got children involved in trick-or-treating, that you have a great Halloween. We are going to be speaking this week on healing ourselves and, you know, working with others to heal diet and binge cycles. So I have a guest this week, Anna Suri. She is a food and body freedom coach. And maybe this does work well with Halloween because I know Halloween can bring up a lot of challenges if you're someone who has struggled with, um, you know, sweets and things like that over the years. It can be a really uh, triggering time about how do I eat at Halloween? Do I eat any of the goodies? Do I eat only some? Do I do whatever I want? Do I just try to ignore the whole thing? Do I not buy any candy for the house, right? Like, if you're somebody who struggled with diet, there's a whole load of approaches and it can actually be a really loaded holiday. Um, we don't get into that so much in the episode, but I'm just kind of thinking of that in, in terms of a connection. But Anna is going to help us to understand a little bit more about the diet and binge cycles. She's focused on helping women to heal those cycles and get off that roller coaster, that up and down for good. She talks a little bit about her story, um, where some of this um, messaging comes from around, you know, what is healthy and then where, where can we find ourselves in that space? We talk about emotional eating. We talk about what were some of the game changers for her healing in this space and really just pick her brain all around this topic. I have to thank Anna so much because I had to reschedule this so many times and she was just so lovely in working with me and then, of course, was just um, a wonderful person to speak to. So thank you so much to Anna. Anna, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Anna Surrey. So welcome, Anna, to the podcast. I'm so happy to connect with you today. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I know we had a few a few goes, and um, yeah. it's great to to be here. Absolutely. No, <laughs> At I the agree. perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with you providing a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I feel... Yeah, that in you know in a lot of the coaching space uh that a lot of people come to it because they've had their own experience their own personal experience with a struggle uh with a transformation and that really impacted their lives so that they felt really inspired to share that with the world and that was the, certainly the case for me um i'm a intuitive eating and 
positive body image coach and I struggled for a really long time with a whole range of eating disorders which started as a teenager and I I was working in the fitness industry as a Pilates teacher for a long time and also owned a health food business for a few years so I was deeply entrenched in the fitness industry and also the health and wellness industry Mm -hmm. which really perpetuated my struggles in terms of food and body image and healthy eating and being really obsessed about you know having a certain body size and shape obsessed about eating in quotes perfectly always looking for the best healthiest diet and my life very much revolved around those topics everything else came second and I was deeply unhappy and of course when sometimes when we're in the picture we don't realize because it is quite obsessive it's quite culty you know we don't actually realize that it's detrimental to our physical and mental well-being Um, but I was lucky enough let's say that I sort of hit that rock bottom place where you know sometimes the pain just gets so bad that we have to pay attention and that certainly was the case for me where I where I kind of woke up to the reality of what had become of my life and that was a real turning point for me where I then decided okay I, I gotta change something um, my health is suffering I haven't had my cycle in a few years my hair is falling out I'm always tired my marriage is on the rocks I feel really really lonely and isolated and unfulfilled in my life and I was just exhausted by it all you know when you just (laughs) when you've dedicated all of your energy your time into this one thing and it hasn't given you anything back I just couldn't go any further so that was yeah like I said the turning point for me I discovered intuitive eating which was just this breath of fresh air because not only did I discover that I wasn't the only one who had this kind of struggle I always thought that was just me because so many women you know they they struggle in hiding because they feel like they're the only ones and what they're doing is crazy you know they feel like such a failure and such a loser and um just in discovering that there were thousands of women who spoke my language and who could, their story was my story. You know, what they were saying, I just felt like I could relate so much. I went, oh, yeah, that's me too. You know, I, I, I that's me too. I, I do that too or I did that too. And this is also my pain um, and the shame that I was feeling. Um, so that was incredible, just that in and of itself. And then really coming coming to a place of, okay, how can I eat without rules without the outside influences how can I get to a place where I'm connected to my body again the way that you know we are when we're children you know we as kids we've never hopefully never read a diet book Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and we intuitively know how to eat and how much and at what time you know we we are so in tune with our hunger and craving cues Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it was just the journey of coming back to that and then doing the really deep body image healing work and getting to a place of accepting and loving my body without without it being the the thin ideal that was portrayed in the media so yeah that's just Mm -hmm. a little bit of my Mm -hmm. background (laughs) no that's really helpful and you know like you said I think there's so many people I have a very similar kind of background and struggle with body and food and all of that throughout my life and 
you know, it's so normalized. Like when you say, mm. you know, all of the things like being part of the health and wellness industry, being, you know, in the fitness industry, like, of course, in there, like everybody's doing that. So you wouldn't even think like, oh, maybe this is not healthy for me, right? Like it, it just becomes this kind of way of life. And um, it's so great that you've been able to kind of find your way out of there, I guess. Mm. And, and, so, and yeah. it does, it takes a while to kind of figure that out. Well, I'm so glad that you that you actually said that, that it's normalized, because that is also the reason why so many women don't seek help or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, go, oh, I'm, I don't feel good with this, but I guess everyone's doing it. So it's just probably mm -hmm. how it is. Um, and then when when they do actually realize, oh, no, this is not normal, this is not healthy, and you can actually live your life in a very different way, uh, it's such a, a revelation, really. Um, but that, that is a, a really big problem, that it's so normalized in our society. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think even sometimes I'll hear just in passing or you'll be at work and somebody will say like, oh, I've got a wedding coming and I need to mm. fit in my dress. You know, like it's those, even those yes. tiny little comments and you're just like, oh, wow, it's just everywhere. You yes. know, it's, it's not, people really point to like the magazines and things like that, but it's not, it's not just there. It's, it's everywhere in our society for sure. Yeah. It's deeply in us for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, what do you then consider to be kind of like a healthy lifestyle in terms of food and exercise? Like, why don't you maybe walk us through a little bit of kind of that intuitive eating mentality and, mm. and what that looks like and how people, especially because if you're somebody who's dieted your whole life, you're kind of going, well, then what is the answer? I don't even know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's I <laughs> right. That's right. And you know, it's so true what you're saying, because pretty much every woman that comes to work with me, she said, she's saying, okay, I'm done with dieting because I know it doesn't work. I'm done with restricting food. I really don't want to hate my body anymore. Mm -hmm. but I don't know what to do instead. Mm -hmm. You know, what like, what's is the, the plan? Yeah. Yeah. What's the plan? Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, I want to preface this by saying that, uh, you know, we're all highly individual. What works mm -hmm. for one person doesn't work for another, which is why it is so important. And which is one of the really big principles of intuitive eating is the body connection piece that I mentioned before, where our own body carries so much wisdom around what foods it enjoys and what foods makes it feel good at what time in what quantity it's the the problem is that our head is so full of all the noise of all the messages of everything that we've ever read of all the podcasts we've listened to and all the so-called experts you know that have done all the studies and you know we we probably have been bombarded for the you know last 20 30 40 decades with information which by the way usually conflict each other as well so it's just a really big mm -hmm. mess and confusing mm -hmm. so a really big part of the work is to dial down that that messaging in the head the voice in the head and dial up the cues uh, and the way that our body communicates with us so you know we, we gotta first of all just say okay I'm done with dieting I'm done with following specific rules that some stranger put on onto me and basically telling me okay this is what your relationship with food is even though they have no idea what it's like to be in my body and what age I am and what country I live in and what climate I'm in and how much stress I'm exposed to and how much I'm moving and how many kids I have or no kids you know what my relationships are like how much money I have I mean all of these factors contribute to the relationship that we have with food and so only we can know 
And it's a skill that we we got to relearn. And in order to learn that skill, we first got to go, okay, I'm done with the rules. I'm, I'm, I'm done putting any more information, outside information into my head about it. And I'm coming back to my body. And so a big part of it is mindfulness practices that reconnect us with our body. You know, we all have these things called interoceptive signals. I talk about this a lot. So that basically just means we have our bodies communicate with us through internal signals. So I always give the example of when you need to pee. You know, we all know what it feels like in our body when we need to pee. We don't need to go or figure out, we don't need to read a book about what it feels like when we need to pee. We just know what that sensation feels like in our body. So feeling hunger and having a craving is also an interoceptive signal, but we question it. You know, we never go, <clears throat> when we need to pee, we don't say, well, I peed like 10 minutes ago. I probably shouldn't pee again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we just do it. If, as, you know, if there's a toilet around, or if there's the possibility to pee, if we need to pee. But we yeah. don't do that with, right, we don't do that with hunger. We go, oh, but I ate an hour ago. I shouldn't feel hungry again. And, I mean, I am craving chocolate, but, you know, sugar is so bad for you. You know, we just, the head comes in straight away. So, it's really about learning to trust those interoceptive signals. So first of all, being able to interpret them. What do they mean? You know, do I need food? Do I need rest? Do I need food? Do I actually need to go for a run? You know, does my body need movement? Or if it's movement, does my body need just gentle stretches or does it need to, to go for a bike ride? You know, what kind of stimulation do I need? Or do I really just need to go to bed right now? So these are all the ways that our bodies communicate with us. And the only way to know is to be able to listen to those cues and signals. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, yeah, it's, as you say, it's, it's challenging. And that's a great analogy to the bathroom, because you're right, like, I have that so many times where I'll think, why am I so hungry today? Oh, that's, mm. maybe it's because I had sugar, or you know what I mean? And so you come yeah. up with like this, question of I'm feeling this way and I shouldn't and yet you're right I I don't do that that often when I have to go pee or something, right? like, <laughs> because right because there's so much more attached to the whole yeah. piece. you know we, there's so much fear there's the fear of weight gain yeah. so you know there's usually the body image piece that's underlying the whole thing here but there's also fear of health so you know if it's the sugar thing oh my god that's so unhealthy for me and I mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing it and so mm -hmm. there is more at stake than if we you know just go to the bathroom <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or at mm -hmm. least it seems like there's more at stake you know that's what we tell ourselves yeah and the yeah. society pressure and all of that for makes sure. us feel that way for sure yeah. um so let's drill in a little bit to food then like in terms of you know the binge purge cycle that type mm -hmm. of thing or um the restriction and binge that's been something for me where I'll kind of you know go through times where I'm not eating any carbohydrates and then it's kind of like a cheap day and then you're like yeah that's all you're eating you know what I mean like I've done For those sure, type yeah. of things in the past um how do we then move towards that harmony like is it just focusing on the cues or like how do we even get away from that feeling of yeah. certain foods are bad you know like yeah. so and obviously this is such a big topic there's so many nuances and so many aspects that come into it, but I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. So like you just said, you know, the restrict binge cycle, um, usually binging is a, is a direct response to restriction. And 
there are two types of restrictions. So one being the physical restriction. So like you said, I'm not having carbs, or I'm not having any sweets, or, um, you know, I'm only eating a certain amount of calories. But there can also be uh, the, the quantity. So it can mean mm-hmm. I'm just eating one piece of chocolate per day. That's all I'm allowing. That's also a form of physical restriction. So pretty self-explanatory. Then we have the mental restriction, which is so much trickier to navigate. That is the guilt, right? So you're allowing yourself to eat all the carbs, but you feel really bad about it. So, you know, you're eating it and you think, I shouldn't eat it. I'm so bad. What's wrong with me? You know, why can't I control myself? Um, So it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we have these specific foods that trigger binges. And usually the foods that trigger binges are the very foods that we restrict. So, you know, we can see the correlation there. So the first thing always is to stop with the restriction and to go, okay, I am giving myself full unconditional permission to eat all foods equally without guilt. Um, And I understand that this is much easier said than done and it takes practice and usually it takes some support to guide you because it can be really terrifying (laughs) when you start to eat these foods uh, when you've put them in the category of binge foods. And so a lot of it is also about building that trust, you know, because most people don't trust themselves with these foods because they go, yeah, but once I start eating, I can't control myself. So, you know, the, the key is really to normalize having these foods and then they stop having such power over you that's food habituation you know they um there's quite a few studies done on food habituation there's one example that comes to mind where parents who participated in the study put a jar of m&ms on the kitchen counter or table that was always full for the kids to have whenever they want it and you can imagine at first the kids went nuts for it you know oh my god all the m&ms like amazing they would just you know stuff their faces with m&ms but then after i can't remember the exact days but it was less than a week the kids then just couldn't have cared less about the m&ms anymore and the jar was hardly emptied or touched because it was no longer special because they could have m&ms all of the time so you know it it's a shift from deprivation mentality of you know the restriction of when we ask ourselves the question can I have that? You know, am I allowed to have that? It's a restrictive way of thinking around food. Whereas when we come into the freedom mentality, then it's about, okay, now that I know that I can have any food, let's say cookies, I know that I can have cookies every single day for the rest of my life. Do I really want cookies right now? Because then we have that autonomy back and we can actually make that informed decision based on, you know, us being in touch with that interoceptive, those interoceptive signals that I was talking about before. Now we we can actually check in and go, oh, yeah, I can have cookies. I can have cake. I can have ice cream. I can have potatoes. I can have pizza. But do I want that right now? What does my body want right now? When we stop restricting these foods, then it doesn't feel like we don't have that last supper mentality because every time that we restrict something, eventually we're going to give in, right? We've all been there. We tell ourselves, I'm done eating sugar. Oh my God. You know, I've told myself that so many times. (laughs) This is the very last time I'm ever eating sugar for the rest of my life. I literally believe myself when I said, this is the last time forever that I'm eating chocolate. I'm never eating chocolate ever again. I really believed it because I had to believe it in that moment to not, go crazy because I was, you know, face down in the chocolate. (laughs) So 
we just, you know, by just restricting these foods have that power over us, eventually we're going to give in to the craving. It's only a matter of time, even if it's, you know, a month or maybe three months or maybe six months or maybe a year, but eventually we're going to give in to the craving of the foods that we've been restricting and then we feel really bad and then we tell ourselves, okay, this is the last time. And then if we think, okay, if this is really the last time that I'm ever going to eat sugar again or chocolate or cake, then I might as well go for it now. And then we end up in a binge. Mm-hmm. And then we feel really, really bad about it and we tell ourselves, okay, well, it was the last time until, you know, a month later or a week or a day or three months or six months or a year, we end up in that exact same place. So we know already that that strategy is not a sustainable long-term strategy. You know, we can control it for a certain amount of time, but eventually it's going to backfire. So long story short, allowing all foods equally really is the answer to overcoming and stepping out of that restrict binge cycle. And so how does it then fit in in terms of like a lot of times I know that like when I have say a smoothie for breakfast and I put, you know, a good protein in it and I usually put like greens and, you know, that kind of stuff, like I do feel pretty good. Like I get a nice Mm. energy from it and I don't feel sluggish, you know, compared to if I had like toast or something like that. And so is that still part of intuitive eating? Like, is that something where I can kind of say like, hey, I know I feel better with this. It's not a rule. Like, I don't have to have this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a <laughs> For restriction. Sure. Like, how, what is the fine line there, I guess? Because yeah. I know, like, overall, I want to eat in a healthful way. Yeah. Um, but but I, I kind of get in these things where I'm like, oh, am I now getting into a restriction again? You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's, this is a, like you said, it's such a fine line, this dance that we do around where when we do have more awareness, you know, we ask ourselves, okay, am I choosing this food because I really want it? Or am I choosing this food because I think it's the healthy option? Or this, um, yeah, safe, like almost like the, right. a food that's safe and allowed. Do you know what I mean? For sure. So, you know, again, it's the, you know, the decade long, multiple decade long rules that we have in our head that even, you know, even if we think about, okay, toast makes me sluggish, that could be a belief because, Mm. man, I heard that message a thousand times in my lifetime. I used to believe that too. Um, So then we also got to go, okay, maybe it's the belief because we all know about the placebo effect. You know, if some, if we believe something is going to make us feel better, it will there's yeah. also the nocebo effect. So if we believe something is going to make us feel bad, it will. And so, you know, I think it's really important to take everything with a grain of salt and not, you know, just because we think something is a fact doesn't make it so. You know, it's that old thing of just below, because you believe it doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you know, if if you feel like, yeah, smoothies in the mornings are really good for, like, they're really good for me because if I feel good, I feel energized, and that really works for me. And it's not a rule because if I'm out with my family and we go into a cafe, I'm going to be okay if I don't have a smoothie, right? right. I'm not going to freak out yeah. because that's when the rigidity comes in, when we can't live a human life where mm-hmm. – you know, we're going to have other foods. We're going to have a variety because we know what we want to participate 
in the activities of life, we want to share food with other people and we want to have that flexibility and spontaneity. So I think that's really important. If we're really, really attached to having to have a smoothie and if we don't have the smoothie, we're on edge, we're, we're grumpy, uh, you know, it stresses us out. Or, you know, if this used to be me, that's why I give this example, I would bring my smoothie where, you know, in the mornings, wherever I go, uh, even if I went out, to meet people in a cafe, I would still, you know, have the smoothie before and just drink a tea there or something, you know, that is dysfunctional behavior. Um, that is, you know, being really, really afraid to just live a little, let's say, and enjoy sharing a meal with other people, even if it doesn't fit into the category of, you know, what would be my preferred choice, if that makes sense. I think that makes a ton of sense. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like I, I went through a period where I would have done that. I would have brought, you know, a protein powder and, and had that in the car right before I went in or something like that. Mm. And, and then been like, okay, I'll still be here or, or declined. Like I often found eating out really stressful. Like I would be like, "Mm, you know what, let's just, let's just eat at home. And and then I can, you know, have my control or whatever. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think just to add on as well, you know, the stress over having to eat in quotes perfectly and always right and always clean, the stress of that, that that puts on your system, on your body, on your digestive system mm-hmm. is probably more harmful than just going out and eating a sandwich. You know what I mean? Yeah, because this, the, the state that we eat in has so, such a direct impact on how that food lands in our body and how it's digested. If we eat in a stress response, you know, we're not going to, uh, we all know this, you know, if we're in a fight or flight, the digestive juices are not going to be flowing. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. you know, it's not called rest and digest for nothing. So if you, you know, picture these two scenarios, say you're in Italy and you're in a restaurant uh, with your family and this restaurant is supposed to have the most incredible pizza in all of Italy. And, you're all excited. Everyone's just pumped for this pizza and it's coming out and it's so delicious. And you're all, you know, taking a bite and going, Oh my God, this is the best. And you're in this restaurant and there's the music and you're drinking red wine and you're on holidays. And it's just such a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're sitting at home and eating your quinoa salad with kale by yourself, whilst everyone out is out where Mm -hmm. everybody else is out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right, because we're not, when we talk about health, we're not just talking about nutrition that goes into your body. We're also talking about health of life, like quality of life, because, you know, so many people and a lot of dieters, and that was me too, um, and I'm still unlearning the perfectionism, the type A personalities, you know, we Mm -hmm. always want to do everything right. We want to do it perfect. We very much live in that black or white mentality whereas life doesn't happen in black or white you know we, we it's never going to be perfect so if we can just embrace that messy gray middle and go yeah that's where life happens and I'm not gonna always be able to eat perfect and I know that people who can eat the most perfect clean healthy organic unprocessed diet still get sick and die you know we know that food is not the only determinant determinant for health and well-being. All people get sick. All people die. And 
if we can just lighten the load a little, take off that pressure a little to be so perfect or having to be so perfect all the time when it comes to food and exercise and just trying to perfect it and just, yeah, relax a little and let the body unwind. So we've talked a little bit about eating and restriction. Um, How does that then, how does emotional eating come into it? Is it Mm. the same type of thing? Is it just like trying to find a way to tune in when we go into the autopilot? Or is it that sometimes emotional eating is okay? Like, how do we look at that (laughs) in terms of intuitive eating? Yeah, yeah, such a great question. And I think such a big topic for so many people, because I don't think there's a human on the planet who can't relate to emotional eating. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I always like to say is that we are all wired to seek comfort from food. You know, when we're babies, if we're upset and we get picked up by mum and we get fed, whether that's by breast or bottle, but we're held by mum, we get, you know, nourishment, we get love, we get safety, we get touch. So it's completely understandable that as we get older, we still have that in us. So if we're feeling lonely, if we're feeling scared, if we're feeling bored, if we're feeling stressed or anxious, we can just reach to food and we have an instant relief. So, you know, I think in and of itself, that is a great quick fix strategy, right, to give give us instant relief from whatever we were feeling. It's just that it's not necessarily satisfying in the long run. So it's a little Band-Aid we put on top of a bigger wound that obviously needs to be addressed because if we're looking to get something from, from the food that the food can't give us, um, it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't sa- solve the underlying issue as to why we have these emotions there in the first place. But if we come at this from, oh, my God, you know, same thing, that I was talking about before with the binging, if we're judging ourselves for eating food, then that is a form of restriction. So, you know, if we have had a really shitty day and we come home and we just want to eat some chocolate to feel a little better and then we start eating the the chocolate and then we feel really, really guilty for it, then we feel even worse. So we reach for more chocolate and then we feel even worse and then we go, oh, might as well just eat the whole thing now you know, and then we're just back in that vicious cycle. Mm. So to first go, hey, I'm choosing this. I've had a rough day and I'm choosing to eat some chocolate right now. I know that it's not really what I need in this very moment, but I'm choosing it anyway because that's what I want to do right now. So we're taking our power back in that moment. And, you know, we sit down and we go, yeah, I'm eating this food to receive pleasure from it. So I'm going to be receiving pleasure from this food and not guilt. And then we can look at, okay, now that that's sort of out of the way, what else do I need right now? What would be really satisfying? So if I've had a really stressful day, maybe I need to put on, I don't know, a heavy metal song and just have a crazy dance around the living room. Or maybe Mm -hmm. I, you know, I need to just, if I'm around water, maybe I need to jump in the lake or in the ocean and just have a swim and let it wash off me. Or maybe I want to see if a friend is around or a family member just for me to just talk about my day or my partner. Maybe I need to cuddle my cat. You know, what what other ways are there that feel more satisfying in the moment to, you know, to soothe this emotion that I'm feeling or if I'm bored and I notice, oh, yeah, I'm, I've had some cookies 
it's not really hitting the spot. It's not satisfying. And then go, oh, actually, yeah, I'm, I just want to eat more because I don't know what else, what else to do. I'm feeling really bored. And then addressing that and going, okay, what do I actually want to do? You know, a question mm -hmm. I think is always so powerful to ask in those moments is, what do I know right now about what I want? What do I know right now about what I'm feeling? What do I know right now about what I need right now? Um, and then, again, we just bring in some reflective questions, but we never, ever want to judge ourselves for emotionally eating because we can also turn it around and go you know if i'm at a party and there is an amazing buffet and i'm super happy and excited i might also eat some food more food than i normally would because it's all so mm -hmm. delicious and everyone's having a good time or coming back to the italy pizza example i mm -hmm. might have more pizza than i normally would because i'm just so happy mm -hmm. you know that's also a form of emotional eating um, and so again, you know, it's, I think really, I think we all need to just stop being so hard on ourselves when it comes to food. And the mm -hmm. thing is that m most people who are chronic dieters or who are, are restricting foods or food groups, they're the ones that lean on food more heavily, uh, mm -hmm. that are more emotional eaters because of the restrictive piece. I think right. that's really important to mention as well, which makes total sense. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. all of a sudden, you know, things have gone off and then you're off and then, yeah, you're into the eating. Um, why don't we think about the body side a little bit? So yeah. how does fitness come into that? I know that fitness can be a real crutch in terms of, you know, sometimes people kind of punishing themselves for what they've eaten and saying, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm going to work it off now, like that kind of mentality. And that's something I've had to overcome this sort of like, kind of putting the two things together, like food mm. and, and movement. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and so yeah, I wondered if you had advice about how people can approach movement in sort of a more enlightened manner instead of it being part of like diet exercise. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it's the uh, it's what I was talking about before about those interoceptive signals, I gave, you know, just a little example then about movement, you know, what is my body actually requiring right now, that is really, really important. And it's hard to do, like you said, when we I so used to looking at, at movement and exercise through that weight control lens because, you know, for so many of us, we don't move because it makes us so happy. We move because we think we need to, because we got to get this under control, you know, or even if we don't want to lose weight, if we're sort of, you know, semi-happy with where we're at, then we still got to move to prevent any further weight gain. Uh, and so it just is, again, this really vicious cycle too, where, um, like you said, you know, we, we've eaten a big dinner and then we just got to go, oh my God, tomorrow I have to, you know, go extra hard at the gym or I'm going to skip breakfast and then have a bigger workout or all of it is, is this, this grasping onto trying to control, you know, that's what I was talking about before the, the type A personalities of doing it perfect and just controlling everything. So that we feel safe because essentially this is about safety. We want to feel safe. Gaining weight does not feel safe. You know, staying in the smallest body possible, that's what feels safest. Again, because of the messages that we've been receiving about, you know, we can we we can, we can all see people in big, bigger bodies are being judged, are be, being made fun of. Um, they're not as respected. They, uh, you know, 
it's not easy being a person in a larger body these days. And so, of course, we all want to not belong to that group because it feels unsafe because we're not going to be part of the cool kids, so to speak. So we all have this deep running fear that then drives these behaviors with food and exercise. So, again, it just takes some unlearning. And most, and I just want to say, like I, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I was working in the fitness industry for a really long time and I was very much in it. I was really struggling with exercise addiction. So I know uh, what that's like. And, you know, I would never allow myself to rest. I was, it was deeply uncomfortable for me to miss a workout. Like, you know, when we, the smoothie example, when, when we don't get to have the smoothie, we get all grumpy and stuff. That was me. If I didn't have my workout, I'd be, you know, terrible person to be around I was so edgy I had to get my movement in only then you know could I get on with other things and if I didn't mm -hmm. it, it was it was shocking I was horrible to everyone around me which again of course is a sign of you know highly dysfunctional behavior and I always say to people you know if you're not sure if the way you exercise is dysfunctional just don't do your routine for one week and notice what comes up and oh, it's gosh. going to be yeah right it's going to be highly uncomfortable for a mm -hmm. lot of people this is the best experiment like if you if you're not sure just don't do it for a week just go for like a half hour hour gentle walk every day as movement and nothing else and notice what that's like so you know pretty much almost let's say maybe 90 percent of of clients that i work with they need to do less they're in again just fight or flight, pumping on adrenaline, you know, because their body never, especially for women, you know, this is such a, this example is so common, intermittent fasting and then working out in the mornings and doing right. it and, you know, really yeah. hardcore kind of workouts just ruins, ruins women's hormonal health. And I've uh, done quite a few interviews with nutritionists, you know, that, that specialize in, in women's health and just going the amount of clients that they have trying to repair their hormonal balance after intermittent fasting and um, high-intensity workouts is just through the roof. And so I think um, a lot of people will say, yeah, but I feel so good and I feel so energized after it. Yeah, that's adrenaline talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just mm -hmm. you're on a high. You're just mm -hmm. on a high, and there will always come a crash eventually. And this is what a lot of uh, people realize. Once they actually stop, they realize how exhausted they are and how much their body is craving gentleness and softness and relaxation and longer sleeps, sleep-ins. That when they actually come out of the that adrenaline uh, rush and cycle, they they you know usually just realize how tired they actually are. But when we're in it, we can't see that. Yeah, we think, oh, this is what I need to get going and, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so I had done a lot of work with a trainer and, you know, she was really on the like high protein and five meals a day, blah, blah. So that was restrictive in its own way. But then mm -hmm. I did go into like, you know, fasting and intermittent fasting at one point. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what ruined it for me. Like I just, I, I yeah, I found my whole body just kind of shut down I don't know it did yeah. so that makes sense the hormonal piece you were talking about it yeah. 
it just really, and, and it really fed into all of that restrictive eating, right? Like it was beyond like, oh, I'm choosing this today at my meal. And it was like, I'm not even having meals and right. Like it just, right. I, I didn't like that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it, <clears throat> A lot of women already have a history with eating mm -hmm. disorders and disordered eating behaviors. So the intermittent fasting can really trigger that again mm -hmm. because, you know, if we're struggling with, let's say, anorexia or the tendency to, you know, eat less, we also become addicted to that empty feeling, you know, mm -hmm. in our stomach. And so the intermittent fasting is perfect for that because, like, oh, yeah, I feel so light. I feel so empty. It feels so great. Mm -hmm. And then as soon, you know, then, then we're not eating enough throughout the day because then also every time we eat, we feel like we're overeating because we're so used to the empty feeling and we're so addicted to that high of what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah. It, it's a bad cycle. <laughs> it's a really bad cycle. And then, you know, what often happens too is we stretch out the fasting window and then when we do eat, yeah. we overeat because we're so hungry mm -hmm. because our body is in total a lot, a lot, a lot, famine, famine, famine. Who knows when she's going to have food again? Let's get it all in now, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. the body mm -hmm. doesn't know the difference between a real famine and an induced famine just because, mm -hmm. you know, people want to lose weight. So a lot of the time it can just, yeah, be this restrict binge cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it know. just becomes a big, a bigger of that cycle for sure. That's and that's right. what I found that then when I'd be on non-fasting days, it was like I was still kind of, doing that like you know I was yeah. still kind of in this restrict binge and and it was just yeah definitely triggering for me for sure mm. um so and, and I appreciate your example about um you know taking a week and doing different activity I recently had um you know some health issues and couldn't exercise and it, yeah like I really noticed it was like torture <laughs> yeah. I was like oh my God, my mental, like, I just couldn't handle it for the, for a while that like, I can't get that exercise high. I can't, you know, like, um, get in those workouts that I normally get in each day. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of telling for sure that, oh, maybe I have some work here to do. Right. Because, you know, we also, again, it comes back to that control piece because, mm -hmm stuff might happen, you know, we might not yeah. always be able to, to do all the things. Like you said, mm -hmm. we might have an injury. Yeah. Uh, we might, uh, yeah, get sick or, you know, we might move and there's no gym. I don't know. You know, there's yeah. all these, these things. It, it, it comes back also to wanting to control our body size, right? That it's also out of our control. We might fall pregnant. We might again, get sick. We might have an injury. And then how do we deal with, the unpredictability of life because mm -hmm. life is uncertain and around the corner could be something that throws us out of our routine. You know, do we want to constantly live on edge in the fear of what might happen mm -hmm. or can we go, okay, I'm going to be all right. No matter what happens, I'm going to be all right. No matter what happens, I adapt and I'm not so attached to, you know, being a certain weight or having a certain exercise routine. I'm going to be okay. If there's no organic, I don't know, oatmeal available. I can eat the non-organic, you know what I mean? So we mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we just come out of that rigidity in all areas. And then life just becomes a lot more enjoyable because it is only a matter of time until our, you know, perfect routine is going to be disturbed. That's just the nature of life. Yeah. And so, you know, we're all going to have to be faced with that at some point. We are, we, not, none of us, you know, <laughs> none of us get a free pass. 
Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Whether it's you, your family, somebody, something happening in family or job or anything, right? Like there's so much that, that can take us. And I think if you are, like you mentioned, a type A person, you're kind of always applauded for being able to be that rigid. Like it's like, well, we're supposed to hit our exercise goals, you know, like society kind of is always like, yes, exercise more. Oh, don't let the excuses get in your way. You know, like there's that. And so it definitely feeds into keeping that going. Right. Yeah. It's again, what you said uh, right at the beginning about what's normalized, you know, Mm -hmm. what's normalized around what is apparently healthy eating and what's normalized, what's apparently healthy movement and exercise routines. Mm-hmm, uh, for sure. Is, yeah, often highly dysfunctional. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit more about the healing piece. Um, like, can you tell us, like, what are some of the game changers that you would consider helped you really in your healing journey? Was there, whether it's like a mentality or like something that you tried, um, a certain mindfulness technique that you've used? Mm. What What would you say are a few things that people could uh, focus in on? Yeah, so... Of course, again, it's highly individualistic. It just depends on where people are. I think for me was the the actual fact that I was at that place, that rock bottom place where I just said, okay, I don't care anymore what it takes. I don't care what I have to do because that made me really suggestible. You know, I was working with someone who was supporting me and I was even at that place where I said, I don't care what happens with my body. I don't care if I gain weight. And, you know, I was working as a Pilates teacher in front of a mirror wearing tight clothes in front of, you know, 20 people who'd known me for many, many years and I was gaining weight and I was, you know, I was really, really uncomfortable. But I had made that commitment and said, yeah, but I don't want to go back to what it was. I'm, I'm not prepared to live like that anymore. And that to me mm-hmm. was a really uh, massive contributing factor to my healing um and you know I'm not saying that everybody has to get to that place but it's certainly helpful because whenever you probably know this whenever we embark on change or you know want to transform something it's going to be uncomfortable because it's different to what we're used to it's unfamiliar it feels wrong and so we probably want to go back to the safe diet you know we want to go back to that structure because that's where we feel safe but if we have that strong conviction that the price we pay to live that lifestyle we're no longer to pay we're no longer prepared to pay that price, then we have that motivation to keep going and trust this process. So that was a really big one for me. I would highly recommend for anyone who's sort of, you know, they're in that kind of uncomfortable place and go, yeah, okay, the diet thing isn't really working for me anymore. I'm not really happy. Um, There are some great resources, you know, the intuitive eating book, the classic intuitive eating book. Uh, The original is so helpful. I would highly recommend every person on the planet read that book. So that's a really great place to start. Uh, that really helped me. Um, and receiving support from, you know, someone who'd had a similar story to me and uh, who could guide me through, you know, the minefields and the roadblocks. Um, and for me, it was also about what I was talking about before, the unconditional permission to eat food. You know, I'd had also a really long history of intermittent fasting and I was down to eating one meal a day. So, you know, my fasting windows were really long um, and I wasn't eating dinner. <clears throat> so for me, a really big piece was to eat dinner. And it was really hard 
I was really afraid. I'd also read, you know, you know, I don't know if you know this from your own, <laughs> your own story, your own history. Whenever I would pick up a piece of information about, you know, an effective way to lose weight, it would just be glued to my brain. And I just go, Oh, great. I'm going to do that. So mm -hmm. I'd read, I'd read once that they'd done the study where people were skipping dinner. You know, we're, we're, it's starvation, but let's call it intermittent fasting. So, you know, they were skipping dinner and then, you know, the group, you know, had maintained their weight loss for longer or something like that. And, you know, mm -hmm. I never questioned the studies. Oh, were they men? Were they women? How long? Yeah. Like, did they check in five years later? How were they going then? No, of course not. You know, it's like a yeah. two months thing. Um, so not sustainable at all. But anyway, I was just like latched onto that. So I thought, okay, great. I'm not going to have dinner ever again, basically, which, you mm -hmm. know, it's really practical. Problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, yeah, that's right to be a human no, but in this I, world. I did the same thing on my days of fasting. Like I would do some of those 24 hour fasts too. And mm -hmm. I remember like I'd make dinner for my family and my kids would be like, why aren't you eating? And you're kind of like, ah, oh, well, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Exactly. So I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So eating dinner was, you know, a massive step for me. It was really mm -hmm. difficult, but it, it really contributed to my healing just to normalize to eat. <laughs> and, yeah. you know and not going okay I have to eat f by five or six you know to even eat sometimes um the person I was working with was like okay eat a snack at 8 30 oh my god it was terrifying right yeah well so, how many times no snacking is just the rule right like there's yeah. nothing after dinner or what like right exactly exactly so for me you know I went through a phase of I think for three months I would eat a lot at nighttime because mm -hmm. I was making up, you know, for two decades worth of restriction. So, you know, when you're in that process, you will probably initially eat more. It's part of the process. And again, having support, someone, you're reassuring you that this is normal and it's not going to last forever and you're going to be yeah. okay um, mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And even when you said about, um, you know, being a Pilates teacher and and kind of gaining weight in front of people, like I feel like I almost want to say to some people, like, it's not a failure. Like I've intentionally yeah. gained some of this weight back. And yet I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't say that to people, but you know, you feel like they're judging you kind of thinking like, oh, see, she couldn't maintain it or, you know what I mean? And right. It's like, of course. I, I chose to get off this wheel, you know, like I've chose to try to heal myself and the people and don't you know, see it that way. No, and we also have to remember, and I had to remind myself of that too, that whenever people comment on other people's weight, it's mm -hmm. because of their own insecurities. They're just projecting all of their own stuff onto you, yeah. you know, because That's otherwise true. you wouldn't have to say anything about it. It's mm -hmm. just that they have their own stuff going on around weight. And so they're just projecting that and they feel like they need to vocalize it which I mean that is a whole other topic in and of itself you know commenting on other people's weight just just yeah really stop I think yeah you're really done with that now <laughs> I agree and that's been yeah. a big thing that I've changed is I don't say that kind of thing to people anymore like um because I went through so many periods where you know as a teen I lost a lot of weight and that was all anybody ever said to me was mm. oh my gosh like you know my aunt like everybody my aunts like older people like how did you do it wow yeah and and then again you know I after I had my daughter went through a big weight loss and fitness kind of Thing. And, um, and that's when, yeah, the disordered eating got really bad for sure. But yeah, I mean, that yeah. was just a constantly from people. And so, yeah, it's, it's not good. Like I, I try not to say comment on anybody's size or fitness or, or what have you. 
maybe if it was yeah. like, wow, you ran a 5k, great for you. Like it's more of an accomplishment compared to for like sure. your body, right? Like, yeah. And you know, it really comes down to, you know, that topic of, or that issue of objectification, you know, that mm -hmm. we so identified with the size of our body as if that's all that we are mm -hmm. and really have our sense of worth and lovability yeah. tied up with our size. Yeah. And, you know, we're always going to lose because, again, our body is not designed to stay the same forever. You know, we're not to, we're not meant to have the body of a 20 year old uh, mm -hmm. and when we're 60 or 80, you know, some people have a similar weight all their lives, but a lot of people don't, but it's again been so, you know, normalized, you know, women going through menopause going, yeah, I, you know, I'm beating the weight gain and, yeah. you know, instead of thinking, Oh, hang on, our bodies are highly intelligent creations uh, if we, what if we just didn't interfere and just let our body manage weight because that's mm -hmm. what, you know, <laughs> they know how to do, you know, uh, maybe we're meant to gain some weight. Maybe it's for health reasons, mm -hmm. but because of all the fat phobia yeah. and because of all the, you know, the fear because of, you know, I'm only good. I'm only worthy. I'm only going to be admired. I'm only going to be loved and desired in a certain body size you know because of all of that conditioning we want to fight it as much as we can and that's really when so many of the problems start so yeah I think you know I mean yeah the body image piece is a, it's a whole nother episode <laughs> yeah yeah well that's what I'm thinking maybe we we should have you back to talk you know more and dig in on body image because I think that yeah. would be um, really great for sure. Um, and I, yeah, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but any <laughs> other kind of last tools and advice or, or thoughts for our listeners on kind of how to get that food and body freedom? I really, I really want to say to anyone listening who's really in it and maybe quite secretive as well and feels really ashamed of some of the behaviors that they're doing, that you are, I know this sounds such, like such a cliche, but you are really not alone in this mm -hmm. and that you don't have to live that way. So for me, it was always this, okay, I, this is the only way I can do this. There's no mm -hmm. other way. And it was such a relief when I found out, oh, there is another way. It really was just this massive weight off my shoulders. So, yeah, for anyone who's, who's in that tough place right now, um, please know that, there is an alternative and it's an incredibly freeing um, and happiness inducing way to live. And I would definitely start by following some intuitive eating accounts, maybe on social mm -hmm. media um, mm -hmm. and reading the book on intuitive eating. Uh, yeah, that's, I think where I would start. And then, you know, things, you know, what it's like once we start to open the door that can we get more and more information. We start to look at things differently. We become more aware and really asking yourself to, you know, am I prepared to continue to pay the price that this is costing me, you know, pursuing weight loss and dieting? Mm -hmm. How How is it impacting my life? Uh, you know, what areas is it infiltrating? Am I happy to continue living my life hating myself and living with that self-loathing? Am I prepared to continue to live my life in that kind of isolation and obsession with food thoughts uh, because it takes up a lot of energy mm -hmm. or would I maybe prefer to think about something else for a change that's not food mm -hmm. would I like to figure out oh what do I actually love to do you know 
what what things do I really enjoy? Would I love to um, be more present with my family? Do I want to set a really good, healthy example to my daughters so that they don't have to go through the struggle? You know, mm-hmm. just asking ourselves some deeper reflective questions now that we know that there is an alternative. Yeah, no, that's a great point and a great uh, way to look at things. And I agree, there are some great social media accounts where, you know, they've definitely put things up there and you're like, oh, that's true. Oh, I, you know, you see yourself in it sometimes and it's, it can be really eye opening. So that's a good tip. So how can listeners find out more about you if they're interested? Are there um, social media accounts or um, ways to contact you? Yeah, so speaking of social media, I um, mainly uh, am on Instagram uh, under I am Anna Surrey. Surrey is like the county in England, S-U-R-R-E-Y. And I'm just in the process of creating a really great free training uh, that will be available there soon too. So, um, yeah, people can find me there and I share share very generously on there and authentically – and real and raw. Um, so, you know, people coming there will get a lot of value. Perfect. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. And I've really appreciated this chat today. And like I said, I think we should definitely do it again and dig a bit more into body image. I think there's so much more there. <laughs> yeah, that would be incredible. Thanks so much right. for having me, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Anna Surrey for speaking with us this week. Again, I know she was so patient with me. And even during the episode, right like 25 minutes in, we had a technical glitch that booted us off the recording server. So she was just so patient. We were able to come back on and get the rest of the episode. But um, really appreciated speaking with her. And I would love to have her back to talk a little bit more about body image, as I know that is just such a big topic and can be um, something that many people need to spend some time working on. And it wasn't something that we were able to get into as much. So if you do want to contact Anna, as she said, one of the best ways is through Instagram at at I am Anna Surrey. And Surrey is S-U-R-R-E-Y. That's a great way to connect with her. Um, also you can I'm sure search her up online as I've done and and come up with she's got Facebook she's got a number of things on there that can help you to track her down if you'd like to um, get more information about some of the services she provides so once again I hope you have a great week wonderful Halloween and we will talk soon thank you for listening to the learning to slay the beast podcast Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se hyphengerman.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit ko-fi.com. 
youtube.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Thank you.